If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, we're going to go through the whole chapter this morning, Luke chapter 7. Um, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, there are many sermons that could be had from just this single chapter, but we're going to go through the entire chapter um, in one swoop this morning, so we're not going to touch on all the things that could be, but still trying to get a big picture overview and a couple of topics specifically This morning, as we read Luke chapter 7, which I will hear in its entirety in a minute, I want us to see that that Jesus is worthy and we are not. Jesus is worthy and we are not. Um, So let's read Luke chapter 7, and we will begin to discuss what ties it all together. Jesus is worthy and we are not. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read the entire chapter. May need some water afterwards. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes." And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, 
Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For the John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who kissed his or sorry, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii, and the other fifty. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's a lot of stories, um, a lot of different things happening here. And so as we kind of try to tie them all together and understand what Luke is doing when he puts these stories together in back-to-back fashion as he does, again, what I want us to see is that Jesus is worthy and we are not. There are three main... um, 
people in the first two stories and the last story surrounding the John the Baptist encounter, there are three people who clearly are not worthy. Three people who clearly are not worthy. Jesus is worthy, and we are not. And there are three people in the story who are not worthy. The first one is the centurion. The centurion is not worthy. He's a Gentile. He's not even a Jew. You see this in verse 3. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. You know why he sent the, the elders of the Jews? Because the centurion wasn't a Jew, and the centurion didn't feel like he was in a position to be able to go to Jesus himself or to send non-Jews to Jesus because Jesus was a Jew. He was a Jewish leader, a Jewish teacher. And so the centurion knew that he was not worthy to encounter Jesus and to say, I am worthy of whatever it is I need you to do for me. The centurion himself knew that he wasn't worthy. And the other people also knew that the centurion wasn't really worthy. The elders of the Jews said, look at all the things that he's done. But when you look at the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law, they would not have thought that the, that the centurion was worthy. The second person that you see that's not worthy is the widow. She really is kind of a passive person in this whole encounter. There in verse 12, it says, As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now notice, this woman's not worthy because she has nothing to offer society. She is penniless and without hope in this world because she has no male to take care of her. She doesn't have a husband. She's a widow. And now the only son that she did have who would have been able to take care of her in the society no longer can. Why? Because he's dead. He died. I mean, how awful is it that a mom loses her son, but how much more awful is it that a widow loses her son? Not only has she lost her husband, but now she loses her only son. And she has no hope in this world. She's not worthy in this society of anything. And especially if we don't think either of those two people, okay, maybe the centurion has done some stuff for his town. And maybe in some regards, some people think that he's worthy of something. Well, in the second one, you've got this crowd surrounding this widow and saying, man, she's got a whole bunch of nothing, but are they going to take care of her? It, it, it sort of seems like, no, the, the idea that we get is she is without hope, that she also has no standing, no place anymore. And then the, our last story in this chapter 7, we have the sinner. I mean, we think the centurion, he's okay. The widow, well, you know, I mean, she's uh, bad circumstances. But then you have this woman who everyone says that she is a sinner, and especially the Pharisee. Look at verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. That's all. Like, we don't even know her name we, we don't know even exactly what she does. Well, I mean, we have an idea of the things that she does. But it doesn't even say, all, all she's described is as a sinner. Like no name, no occupation, just sinner. The things that she does, everyone knows they're things that you shouldn't do. They're things that are not accepted by society. 
it's not that she doesn't have the standing as a Jew or as one who could. It's that she has chosen to do the opposite of what everyone thinks she should do. And what's amazing is these people recognize. Why do you think the widow is weeping? Because her son's died. But also, maybe she's weeping because she's thinking, what is going to happen? What what am I going to do now? What's going to take place? How am I going to be cared for? I I don't know how I'm going to get through next week or next month or live for another year. How am I going to get food? The centurion, he sees himself as not worthy, and he says this in verse 6. And Jesus went with him. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends. So first he sends the elders of the Jews, and then he kind of comes to his senses and realizes, like, I, I shouldn't have even gone that far to ask the Jews to invite Jesus to come and to heal my servant. I, I've, I've overextended, um, I've assumed something that Jesus would do for me when I really don't deserve it. And this is what he says. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. I mean, he sees himself as not worthy. The, the widow knows she is hopeless. The centurion knows that he is not worthy of whatever it is that Jesus has to offer. The woman who is a sinner, all of her actions, as Jesus mentions, speaks to the fact that she recognizes that she is not worthy. She is there to serve because he is the one who is worthy to be served. She's not worthy in any capacity. These people know this inherently. And what we see is so interesting in the middle of these three stories is this encounter with John the Baptist's disciples and John the Baptist and then Jesus's commentary on how people have reacted to John the Baptist. Now, what was the message that John the Baptist was preaching? Now, remember, repentance, right? John the Baptist was preaching a message of repentance. Repent and and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Most of what repentance has to deal with, a, a, a simplified understanding of repentance is turning from sin. It is believing in a truth about my sin that it is sin, and that it is wrong. And repentance means turning away from that, an acknowledgement, a mental understanding of the facts that this is sin and I have committed these sins. I am a sinner. I am defined by my sin. And so then the other half of the repentance is trusting and turning away from sin, specifically and generally. I'm generally a sinner. And all of who I am, I am a sinner. It's not just that I stole something, it's that I am a thief. This is who I am. I'm a sinner, but I'm turning away from these things. I believe that this is true, and then I am taking some action where I myself am turning away from that. This is repentance. And we see here 
in verses 29 and 30 specifically, when Jesus is talking about John the Baptist and he's saying, what did you go out to see? What was John preaching? He was preaching repentance and he was a good prophet. He was a good man. But even the least in the kingdom of God is better than John. Even John is nothing compared to who you are in the kingdom of God. John, there's no one better that's been born among women. On on this earth, John is the best that there is, the best that there maybe will be. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, he's no better than the rest of you. He's not worthy any more in the kingdom of God than you are to receive repentance. But not everyone has received repentance. And this is Jesus' commentary in verses 29 and 30. And sort of these parentheses that maybe your, your Bible has, sort of what Luke is telling us about what Jesus has just said. When all the people heard this, there verse 29, when all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. So what would have been the baptism of John? Well, repentance, recognizing that we are sinners and that we need to prepare for what is to come. We need to get ourselves right with God. We have not done what we should have done. We are a people who are wrong, but not everyone responded in that way. Not everyone accepted John's baptism. Not everyone said to the call to repentance, yes. Some of them answered, no, I don't need to repent. I don't need to show myself as contrite before all of these other people or before John or before God. The way things that... The way that things are right now are okay. Who I am and what I'm doing, there's not enough wrong with it for me to change course, for me to turn away from that and to start walking in another direction. And we see that in verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. And then... You know, he, the next several verses, you have that commentary that Jesus gives of, it doesn't make any sense. They're given all, all these different prophets and these different understandings of what they should do. They're asked to celebrate and say, hey, you know, salvation's come, but no, you don't dance. You're asked to weep for your sins, but no, you don't because you don't think you're a sinner. And so neither in repentance weeping over your sins, realizing that you have done wrong, that you are wrong. They don't do that. But also when it comes to understanding who Jesus is, neither do they dance and celebrate in their understanding of that either. And that's the other end of conversion. If we define conversion overall as repentance and faith, repentance, again, is acknowledging a mental understanding that I have sinned and that I am a sinner and turning away from that. So it's not just mental, but then it's an act of my will to choose to run and walk away from those things. But then what am I walking towards? And so in our simplified understanding of repentance, now comes a simplified understanding of faith, which we have all throughout this chapter. And what Jesus is describing here, faith then on the other side, is what are you turning to? What, what is the object of where you are now putting your trust and your hope in? 
So you can turn away from your sin, but what are you turning to? True repentance is going to lead to faith in Jesus. Godly repentance is not just, I feel sorry for the things that I have done, or I am having to bear the consequences of my actions. It's realizing that I have sinned against a holy God, but now I can believe and put my trust in something, and specifically in someone, and that I can trust Jesus. And so just like repentance is a mental understanding, coming to grips with the facts of I am a sinner, faith also is believing in a truth about Jesus. I mean, the centurion, the reason he sends these people to go talk to Jesus for him is because he believes that Jesus can do what he has heard Jesus has been doing. Jesus has been doing all of these miracles, and the centurion believes that Jesus can do these things. He believes that Jesus is the one who is to come. That's why it's so interesting that this is the question that John the Baptist asks and that we are given certainty of in this chapter. Is Jesus the one that we can trust? Is Jesus the one that we can put our faith in? This is the question that John the Baptist wants to know for sure. John hears the reports about all the things that Jesus has been doing. And just to be as clear as he can, he sends his messengers to ask Jesus, okay, I, I want to make sure that I'm not misunderstanding anything here. I want to have all the facts laid out before me. I want to hear it from your own mouth. Maybe again, maybe he's already heard it. Maybe he just wants to hear once more. Maybe the last time he actually encountered Jesus was at his baptism. And so then he's been doing all this preaching and all these miracles, and he's just heard these reports, but he wants words from Jesus himself. Are you who you really say you are? Are you the one who I have come to prepare the way for? And Jesus' answer is, look and listen. Look at the things that you've seen, the things that you can hear about. And so believe in that truth, but don't just believe in a truth. Don't just come to a mental understanding of the facts, which you can. I mean, sometimes people identify faith with as being without reason. But the very thing that Jesus asks John and John's messengers to do is to look at the facts of what have, the things that have been going on. These people were blind, and now they can see. This guy was dead, and now he's not dead. This guy was deaf, and now he can hear. This guy had boils and sores all over his body, and now he doesn't. This guy was possessed by a demon, and now he's a functioning member of society. Listen to these reports Look at these people for yourselves and come to an understanding when you are presented with the facts, with the evidence. So faith is not without reason. On the contrary, it's specifically built upon Jesus having proved himself through his miracles as the one who is worthy to put your faith in. And so faith is believing 
in truth about Jesus. But it's not just believing. So let me kind of give this illustration. Um, so most of y'all know what this is, right? It's kind of small. Maybe you're a little too far away. I don't know. It's an inhaler, okay? Um, I just got this inhaler on Friday. Um, maybe I can breathe better when I'm playing basketball. I don't know. We'll see. Um, so I got this inhaler, right? So in the first place, I never would have gotten this inhaler if I hadn't gone to the doctor, if I hadn't admitted my need for something to help me out. Like I, something is not completely right or, or where I want it to be, and so I had to go to the doctor, right? I mean, maybe this is a, just a small picture of, of repentance, realizing that something's wrong here and that I need some help. Things aren't as they should be. And so maybe an evidence of repentance, so to speak, in our little illustration. But then he gives me this prescription, the doctor does, nice guy, gives me this prescription, and I get it filled, and I can believe that this inhaler will do something for me, right? I mean, that's what, I'm I'm trusting that this is actually what it says it is, you know, and that it really is going to open up my lungs and clear some things out and help me to maybe even do better at basketball. I don't think it's meant to do that, but maybe hopefully it can magically give me some basketball skills that I don't currently possess. Um, we'll see. I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> uh, no pun intended. But um, I can trust that this is what it says it is and that it will do what I think it will do, what the doctor has told me it will do, what the pharmacist has told me it will do. But I can believe this all day long, right? I can believe that this inhaler is capable of doing such things. But what good is it if I don't actually use it, right? I mean, well, if I don't actually put trust enough in it, in this object, to do its work how it's intended to work. I mean, I, I can look at it all day long and say, wow, that's so amazing that this medicine can do all of that stuff that it's supposed to do. Wow, you know, that's great. But if it sits in the cabinet and I don't use it before I play basketball, well, what, what good is it going to do? I mean, you know, I, I don't even really need this. Think about someone who's got asthma and has an asthma attack and their lungs close up, their, their throat closes, they can't breathe. I mean, they can look at this and say, wow, that's amazing. I trust that that medicine is going gonna, is gonna to be able to do something. But if they don't actually realize to the extent of physically putting it into practice, it's never going to do what it's really intended to do. It's not going to serve the purpose for which it exists. So we can believe in a truth, but we have to trust it to the point of acting upon it. What's so interesting in the Old Testament, when you look at the idea of faith, words that are used that come across as faith or believing, they're really not nouns, they're verbs. I mean, they're active. This is trusting to the point of acting upon it. And so when, when you hear the word faith, it's easy, especially where we are in America, in the Bible Belt, it's easy to think of faith as believing a truth about Jesus Christ. It's easy to think about faith as I just have to come to grips with the facts of the matter and have to believe that Jesus 
is the Son of God and that He did live a sinless life and that He did die on the cross as a substitute for my sins and that He was raised again so that I might be justified, so that He might have the power over sin and death and show that, that I can know it for sure. I can believe all of those facts, but it doesn't do any good if it doesn't impact me. I mean, I can even believe that I'm a sinner. And I can believe that I, that I need Jesus Christ to save me from those sins and that He is the only one who can save me from those sins. But if He doesn't actually save me from those sins, if I don't actually act like it, have I really understood faith? If I don't put my trust in Him, if I don't trust in Jesus and do more than just believe, have I really come to grips with what faith really is. Around here in this area, it's simple. If you've grown up in church, sometimes it's easy to think with our simple definitions of faith. Well, faith is just believing. Well, yes, it is believing, but it's not just believing. I can know some facts, but it doesn't do any good if I don't put it into practice, if I don't really trust And one of the things that I think is most important for us is realizing that Jesus is the object of our faith, and it's not the amount of our faith that matters. I mean, I can can learn more facts. I, I can believe more things. I can understand the Bible more and more. But if I don't, with all of that knowledge, put that more and more into practice in my thoughts and in my life, then what good has that really done? I mean, a faith that doesn't work is really no faith at all. And before we kind of get off in our definition of faith and think that we have to do something in order to be able to be saved, what's great about this encounter of this sinner, this woman, is that she does all of these actions toward Jesus. I mean, she, she weeps over her sin, and she weeps over the fact that now she has found a Savior. And she brings this ointment to anoint Jesus, to show that He is the one who is worthy of her attention, of her allegiance. She does these things, and, and Jesus says, Wow, this is amazing. You see this woman? She's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She's not ceased to kiss my feet. She has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And if you stop the story there, you can think, all I need to do is love and act upon, and then I will be saved. We can go to the extreme of saying, well, trusting in Jesus means I have to do these actions, and these actions are what saves me. No, these actions are simply the proof that you have been saved, that you really have understood that you are a sinner, and that you have turned to Jesus himself as the object of your faith, the only one who can save you. And it is great that he doesn't stop there. And he said to her in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. And the people around him, the Pharisees and the 
Simon the Pharisee and the Pharisee's friends are saying, who is this who even forgives sins? How can he do this? Do you see that unbelief still? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. And it goes back to the centurion in the beginning of our chapter. And Jesus just marvels at how this centurion has such faith to believe that Jesus, even from afar, can save his servant, can heal his servant. It's amazing, this faith that this centurion has. This is the, the response that Jesus has. Verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. This centurion believes, and this sinner woman acts upon this faith. And together, when we put those things in tandem with each other, gives us a picture that Jesus saves us and that Jesus stands at the ready to save us. And he stands at the ready to save us because he is alive, because he has been raised from the dead. He has shown himself to be able to save us because he's done what no one else could do. He's conquered sin and death fully. And so we put our trust in Jesus as we are confronted with the facts about Jesus. And so we realize that Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of our allegiance. He's worthy of our faith. And so you have somewhere all along the spectrum in between unbelief and true faith where we can say, I'm not really a sinner. I really haven't done that much wrong. I, I really don't need to believe these facts. I really don't think that Jesus is who he says he is. I really don't think that Jesus really was the Son of God. I really don't think that this Bible can be trusted to tell us who this Jesus really was. I think Jesus was really just some guy who did some good teaching and some good stuff, but he really isn't worthwhile. We, we can deny the facts of the matter. We can even believe the facts of the matter, but it still not actually change our hearts. The pastor I grew up with a little bit when I was a little bit older said a lot of people miss, miss heaven by 18 inches. The difference between heaven and hell for a lot of people can be 18 inches. It's having some facts in your mind, but it never actually reaching into your heart. And I think this is a great way to consider for yourself, for each of us to consider for ourselves, have I simply believed facts or have I believed facts and paired it with trusting in Christ? And I think one way that we would know if we really have trusted Christ, if we have responded in a way like what this sinner woman has. The one person in the entire account who didn't deserve forgiveness is the one person who clearly has been given forgiveness. And so do you identify yourself 
the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers? Do you identify yourself with someone who has come to some mental acknowledgement? Or do you identify yourself with that woman saying, I know I'm not worthy and these actions I'm taking show that I really understand that. I've been given a chance to see and to hear and I've truly understood to the point where I'm acting upon it. This has changed my life. My faith in Jesus Christ has saved me and I continue to trust Him for all things in my life. Is this where you are? Do you believe that Jesus is worthy of your worship? Do you believe that Jesus is worthy of your faith? of your belief and trust? Or do you continue to trust yourself? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning and and the examples that we have from your word, the evidence of faith, the actions that you've taken to heal people, to show yourself as more powerful than the things of this world, as the author of creation, as the perfecter of creation, as the one who can make things whole and right again. God, help us to see you as the one who is worthy of our worship, of our praise, of our devotion, of our faith. Help us to stop turning toward ourselves and trusting in ourselves. God, we need your spirit to do this in our hearts and in our lives. We're in a battle. We need your spirit to come through, to lift us up when we fail, to strengthen us when we are weak, to help us to lean on you in all things. That when we can't stand, that we will fall on you because you are our hope. God, be with us this morning. Help us to ponder these things, to think of these things, to rightly understand your word and to act upon it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.